Hello, everyone. Very quickly before you enjoy this episode, this is the audio only of our new monthly event series called Recruitment Growth Events. It's under the Recruitment Mentors brand. And like everything that we're trying to do with Recruitment Mentors, we've got one purpose with these events. And that is if you attend, if you listen back to this, then hopefully you can walk away with some practical tips that can help you progress your career and maximize your potential. The first topic that we discussed in uh, the event series is overcoming imposter syndrome. I think it's something that doesn't get discussed enough in the recruitment industry, despite all of us, no doubt, facing it on a daily, weekly, or even uh, ongoing basis. But no doubt, we would have all felt feelings of imposter syndrome throughout our career. So you're going to get some practical tips, um, how we can better overcome uh, that those feelings and also hear some great stories. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, make sure you try and attend the next one. And what everyone voted on for the next event to be on was mindset, cultivating resilience, motivation. So if you want to be in the know, then I'm going to chuck a link in the description where you can sign up to the Limitless Learning Newsletter where you will be kept in the know of the future events. But anyway, enjoy the episode. I hope you enjoy it and hopefully I'll see you at the next event. Enjoy. Said, thank you for joining everyone. So what we're going to be doing in this in this time together is the first 20, 30 minutes, we're going to have a, a discussion amongst us um, with um, the panelists around how we can better overcome imposter syndrome. Then for the sort of next 20, 30 minutes, we're going to then do a lot of Q&A. So before that, as well, just to let all of you know, understand how we can use this platform. So as some of you are using the, the chat functionality, and um, that's where you can ask your questions. So when your questions come through in the, in the chat box, I can then mark them as a question. And then we can obviously answer them when we get onto them. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. What I'll also be sharing with you all is some polls as well throughout this session, just so it can help sort of um, all of us really understand how are other people feeling um, and also just drive the conversation. So Joe helped me with this, and I think it's important to say, obviously, we're talking about something that maybe some of us individually have really struggled with. We're likely going to share some of the things that we've uh, personally struggled with as well. So when I spoke to Joe around preparing for this, she said it's really important that everyone knows that this is a safe place. Um, so if we are sharing our own stories and stuff like that, let's sort of respect that if we're showing some vulnerability and the way that Joe put it, not sure how great this is, but what, what let's treat as what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So what happens in this <laughs> webinar room stays in, in this room, right? So before I get uh, you all to introduce yourself and we start going into these questions, I just wanted to uh, just frame up imposter syndrome. Where did this come from? Where was this born out of? And just give some context for everyone. So I'm just going to read um, a couple of things and, and share something as well that would be uh, valuable for all of you. So the idea of imposter syndrome, um, what that basically means is that the idea that you've only succeeded due to luck and not because of your merit. So this was sort of first identified in 1978 by psychologists Pauline Rose and Clance and Suzanne Imes. 
um, and they published a paper around this. So initially, it was actually focused on women and how this uniquely affected them. Obviously, this was in the 1978. But and then what they then later on did and found out was how imposter syndrome affects uh, men and women. And, and we both experienced this. And they then later updated their, their papers and, and where this was sort of born from. Now, something that they've actually produced is an actual imposter test that all of you can actually take, which I'll share in a second, which could be really useful for all of you to check out. Um, but basically today, imposter syndrome can apply to anyone. Um, and it's anyone who maybe isn't sort of able to internalize their own successes. Um, and that's what this is about and what we're going to be discussing today. <laughs> so as I share that imposter test, I'm going to come to you, Joe, first for you to introduce yourself for those that may not know who you are. And then Sally, I'll come to you after and then we'll we'll get into this finally. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So thank you all for having me today. My name is Joe Phillips. I'm the founder of a coaching organisation that's called Fresh Futures. And Fresh Futures was born um, because I have a real passion to work with women. And actually women in society face some real challenges when it comes to imposter syndrome or when it comes to self-promotion. And that has a fairly deep effect in terms of their careers. So I work as a, as a real women's champion. So I'm an executive coach and mentor for women. And I work for women, with women, to help women overcome their barriers within work. So whether that be to achieve a promotion, to help them close that gender pay gap, to achieve a leadership role or to move from leadership to, to vice president. So I work with women to help them radiate confidence within their career and beyond. Um, and it's an absolute pleasure for me to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me. I really, I'm really looking forward to this morning's session. Amazing. Thank you so much. And Sally? Hi there. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So um, I've got a kind of uh, slightly different background. So I've worked in recruitment for 20 years. I'm still working in that capacity now. So still very much billing and managing two teams. Um, but I've recently set up a coaching business myself. So a career coaching business, again, focusing on supporting women. Um, I'm sure that we'll go into a lot of this um, throughout the discussion. But um, I've worked in a heavily male-dominated environment for most of my professional career. Um, and so, yeah, working with women is something that I'm really, really passionate about in terms of their kind of career development. Love it. And last but not least, Claire. Hi. Um, firstly, this isn't my house. This is <laughs> the office. Can you imagine? <laughs> this is my front room. Um, so, so my name's Claire. So I, um, my background is, is purely in recruitment. I have just over 12 years experience in recruitment now. I spent 11 years with my previous company. Um, during that time, we grew from 20 to around 800 people, I think, when, when I finally left. Um, lived all over London, San Francisco, New York, Berlin, and and then left last year, took a bunch of time out and launched Storm3. Um, we're a health tech recruitment firm at the beginning, beginning of this year. We're already 30 people. Um, we are focused on yeah startups and scale-ups in health tech and it's yeah mad mad crazy times so we've had a couple of conversations about it but um but yeah really excited to 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 be on i think uh diversity is something that is so close to my heart um obviously working recruitment i've worked in very male-dominated environments and and actually where i am now it's it's far more female heavy um and my Amazing. team is extremely diverse and 
yeah, it's, it's amazing to see how different things can be when you're in an environment like what we've created here. So yeah, looking forward to today. Awesome. Right. So let's get into this. So where, where I want to start is Claire, I'm going to come to you first. So this, okay. this phrase, imposter syndrome, <laughs> what, what, what does it mean to you? When, when you hear so, that. I think you already know my opinions on it and um how do I phrase this I actually fundamentally disagree with the phrase imposter okay. syndrome I it the all the themes around it I think are so important to talk about um but the actual before I talk about what it means to me I, I do have to say that I do find the actual phrase I wish we could re rename it or give it mm. something else. Cause just the phrase itself, I feel personally, I mean the word imposter and then the word syndrome, like mm. it's just for me. So I'd love, I mean, I don't think we've got the power on just this hour for us to rechange the whole phrase <laughs> to the world. But firstly, I do, do want to get that across. Cause I think it's, I, I don't know. I find it really frustrating that it's called that, but um, what does it mean to me? I mean, I think I definitely have been through, ups and downs in, in the last 12 years of when I felt it, when I haven't. And, and, and the point I would make is that I didn't actually know what it was mm. for a very long time until someone that I used to work with said, Oh, you're suffering from imposter syndrome. And I said, what's that? And then I Googled it. And I have to say, then knowing what it was and Googling it, I probably then suffered from it more than wow. I would have done had I not even know what it was. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so yeah, lots of experiences I'm sure I can share uh, on the kind of the ups and downs and, and rides of, of, of how I felt it and experienced it. But yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of my initial stance on imposter syndrome, if that answers nice. the question. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Sally, what about you? What, what does this phrase mean to you? Really interesting. I agree um, wholeheartedly with what Claire said in terms of it be, being called what it is. Um, and I think it's, you know, we could liken it also to be a victim, if you like, of domestic abuse or of or abuse. You know, you're not a victim, you're a survivor. And it has a very submissive um, and very negative, I think, you know, connotation to say you are an imposter or you are suffering from some kind of syndrome. So the word suffer even, it doesn't kind of sit right with me. I've got angles of how I look at it the first one is that um they are just feelings so whatever it is you're feeling or you're experiencing I think it's really important that we acknowledge those but they are just feelings Secondly, another way I really look at it is in, and think because of the work I do with a lot of women who are experiencing these feelings I actually see imposter or imposter syndrome as an opportunity for growth so once we've really identified what those feelings are and where they come from, we can unpack those, it's really an opportunity to not sit behind a label and say, I'm suffering from this, but this is an opportunity for us to grow and develop. So um, that's my take on it. I love that. Yeah, just complete change of language. Mm. Powerful. And then last but not least, anything to add, I guess, uh, Joe, to that, what the Claire and yeah. Sally said? So I think, I think to Claire's point, as far as um, it being called a, a syndrome, you know, we're in 2021 and I think syndromes are not really not where we want to be. We want to be distancing ourselves from that as much as possible. Phenomenon, as in it's something that we can't quite, can't quite pin our, we can't quite pin it down to exactly what it is that stops us from feeling as good mm. as perhaps we could. 
I think to, to Claire's point is probably a slightly different way. It's a reframe of looking at it. It's it's mm. a phenomenon. And it's a general feeling of whereby, and we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there where we've sat in a one-to-one or a checkpoint and a leader or a manager has said to us, oh, you did really well there. And in our minds, we don't go, yeah, I did do really well. And thank you for that. We go, I was doing my job and I was really lucky. And actually the wind was blowing in the right direction and I just had a few good deals. And before mm. we know it, our ability to self-promote and our ability to take that praise has kind of disappeared out the window. And, and this this phenomenon, this whole I'm not good enough feeling has has arrived and has sat with us. And, and it's this need to be humble. It's this need to be quiet. It's this need to not take that that initiative and say, well, thank you for that. And yes, I did do a good job. So that's, you know, one of the things I think around um, imposter phenomenon is that it is just a feeling and it's a voice inside our head. It's a narrative that we have that tells us that we're just not good enough to be in this situation or we're just not good enough to be managing this particular piece of work, as it were. So, and I think again, from a broader perspective, we know it affects men and women what we also know is that when we take FTSE 100 organisations, for example, only 5% of FTSE 100s have female chief execs. Wow. If we took the FTSE 250, that trails behind at just 2% having female execs. And then to add insult to injury, we've got a gender pay gap that's damning, whereby women are still paid two-thirds less than men within the recruitment sector. So whilst I th- imposter phenomenon affects both genders it's fair to say that women still struggle with the whole feeling of not being good enough so that would definitely be my Mm. thought on it sure okay so let me claire i just muted yourself quickly just because i can hear the background noise but i'll unmute you it's fine you don't have to worry about anything so i'm just going to share a really quick poll with everyone on let's just let's just first start like has everyone here experienced these feelings that everyone's sort of just talking about on how we think about them um, I'm going to share that in a second, but Joe, what I want to come back to you with and where I want to sort of take this first. Mm-hmm. So back to what um, you've all been saying, it's feelings, it's a voice in our head. So Joe, when when can we, I guess, expect to experience feelings and this internal dialogue more often? When can it become more louder? When can it feel more stronger in our careers, do you think? When can we sort of expect to have these feelings arise more out of interest? When do you think we can expect these So I really pondered over this, you know, in terms of when can we expect the feelings? And what I tried to do was figure out from my own lived experience and from my clients' lived experiences, when, you know, what's the timeline? What's the what's the general timeline? When when might we feel these feelings? And actually, I think that these feelings take root really from a very early age. And what we know about imposter syndrome is that they're generally born from from drivers. And what we mean by drivers is they're generally born from communication that's come in to our zone and the narrative that we've had around us as we've grown up. So it might well be that for those people who who experience imposter phenomenon, that what happens is, is that they can hear the voices of that's not good enough. Do that again, because that's not perfect. Do Redo your homework. That's not perfect. Redo that exam result. That isn't perfect. Why would you say that to me? That wasn't the right answer. You know, and again, particularly females, younger females, we would have all heard it. We've all heard parents say to their daughters, be quiet. Don't be so bossy. Stop taking over the conversation and, you know, or wait your turn. Don't interrupt. And I think that 
so what happens is our drivers really are, are instilled in us. This narrative comes from a younger age. And then as we move through our career within recruitment, there's every chance that between what I tend to see is that between about week about month six and about month nine if people are new to the industry that's where we feel our first wobble and that's usually because we've we've seen what success looks like and we're desperately trying to get there and haven't necessarily been able to create a pipeline that is sustainable we've had lots of bumps in the road but then I think as we move through our careers imposter phenomenon can hit us at any transition point so whether it's transition from one desk to another desk, one industry to another industry in recruitment, whether it's from management into leadership, whether it's because a recent deal has flopped and we then bring all of those experiences into the new deal. It's, it's generally whenever there's vulnerability around us, whenever we, we have um, a situation that's new to us, the imposter phenomenon can really hit. And I think that the key is to recognise it. The key is to know that it's just a phenomenon. It's just a thought. It's just a feeling that we're going through. Mm, it's really interesting. And then Sally, what what about you then? Where obviously you work with people with their careers, and obviously worked in recruitment for a really long time. Where where do, where have you seen this show up in maybe your colleagues, and then also people that you've worked with more typically? I absolutely think the triggers are any type of change, anything that's going to push mm. you out of your comfort zone, any new situation, any yeah, changing career, absolutely. And that's the work I do kind of, you know, within my coaching practice. But at work, I think within recruitment, you know, and we've all worked in recruitment for a long enough time to know how things evolve and how quickly things evolve. We are constantly tested in terms of, you know, um, pitching for new clients, winning new new business, um, you know, adopting new technologies. You know, the challenges that we've had to overcome and face over the last 12 months, you know, everyone going online, everyone adapting the way that they're recruiting. These are things that are constantly pushing us and we're constantly having to evolve as, recruit, as recruiters. Um, and so these feelings can, you know, can come up all the time. And yeah. then lots of different guises. Mm. We've experienced a lot of change, haven't we? I mean, you asked the question, where have you experienced me? When I first started recruitment, there was like a Rolodex on my desk. You know, we didn't even have, we didn't even have um, email, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised really by that at all. Agent. Hang on, yeah, no, that's, let's skip over that. Well, just to, um, Claire, I hope that's okay. I just, did you find that okay? Just unmute yourself and stuff. Cool. All right. Yeah. So just, right. To, just, it's okay. Just to share this with you all. So, um, with the poll, so the first poll that we did was, have you experienced feelings of imposter syndrome before? 68% of people said, yes, they have. 21% of people said, yes, I experience these feelings quite often. And then 11% uh, of people said, maybe, but I'm not sure if it was imposter syndrome. So a lot of people there that clearly ha sort of deal with these feelings or that internal voice quite a lot, right? So um, I think, I, I, I think it's, I'm really not surprised by when we're, yeah, I guess out of our comfort zone, it's changed. We're doing things we haven't done before. It's the first time that we're doing that. So I guess, Claire, obviously you've um, really built yourself a recruitment career for a long period of time now. Obviously recently mm. launched your own business. Obviously I'm sure there's been a lot of firsts for you or doing things for the first time. Yeah. Like, I guess, what, where have you, tip when you've started to sort of feel these feelings or that yeah. entire internal dialogue has started to become a bit louder than usual, where where do you then go? Do you go to a particular moment? You go, well, actually, no, I've done all of this. And I look at my past mm -hmm. to show, no, I can do this. Or I don't know where, 
what yeah. like, I want to go into like sort of maybe practical tips here that people can use when they yeah. do start feeling these things. It's an interesting one because I, I did start thinking about it and thinking about when did I first experience it and and I have to say, um, growing up, I never, definitely never experienced it. And I, I so I went to an all girls school, oh. and um, I don't know if there's a theme there in that. And I went to a school where we were, you know, it 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 wasn't a, a private school, it was an, it was an all girls school in Kent, you know, and it was a good school, but we were constantly told that we could achieve anything we wanted to achieve. It's amazing. Um, like that belief and and I do think there is something there I don't know it's a whole different conversation but I I do think there is if I look at my group of friends that um you know I'm still best friends with that I went to to school with I I do think there is something there in in that that enabled us to to not have to experience any of that for a long time but then I guess you know then coming into recruitment and entering a very male-dominated industry you know as, as kind of being discussed already it's like you know, one day you wake up and it's like you've just been like, you just, just it's just like all of a sudden it hits you, kind of. Where am I going? What am I? What What am I doing? Like, mm. am I am I good enough? Um, you know, I've, I've spoken about this quite openly, and that you know, I, I my previous company was a very male dominated company, and you know, it did get to the point where last year I, you know, I I, I left I left the company to leave the industry altogether. Mm. Um, I took six, seven months off in which I thought, you know, what, I, I, I want to be a founder. I want to be a CEO. I don't, you know, I want to be changing those statistics that, that you've already spoken about, Joe, like, that's what I want. And even if I fail at it, I don't care. I want to try. And, and I, I think I got to the point where I just thought, how am I ever going to get there? And maybe it's just not possible in recruitment. Like it's been a great career, but and it, it took me it took me a good six months six it, I took a load of time out and and I I had to really you know my confidence completely dropped for a long time in which I was like I don't want to do recruitment anymore and I don't know if I I, I can do it and yeah for me it took a lot of time out to to surround myself by people that gave me my confidence back and and also reminded me of all the things I'd achieved and that none of the things that I'd achieved in my career were down to luck mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know was very fortunate that I had people around me to to convince me to get back into what I love which is which is what well, well, we're, we're delighted to have you back in the I think is you know I, I do think practical tips are like you've just got to really recognize that and I was really easy to say, like, it's so normal. I still get so nervous about things. I was petrified before I, before I started this. I remember I was, I was in America, um, and during some, my time out and, you know, I was saying to my boyfriend, I was like, I'm so scared. I can't do this. I can't do this. And he was like, what are you on about? You know, but that was normal. That was normal nerves. I think it's about being really honest and open with yourself and the people closest to you to always know the balance of, is it natural nerves and natural anxiety of stepping into something new or are you or are you tipping on the scale of really lacking confidence or really needing some coaching or some help or or people to help to, to help you you know i think it is about trying to t- trying to recognize that and knowing where you stand between the two because i i, I do also think for anyone that's a high achiever or a slight perfectionist or really cares about what they do you're gonna feel 
all of these things. It's normal. Yeah. So I think it's just about trying to trying to recognize when you know that it's it's the scale is going too far on the yeah, I, don't know. I got you, man. Yeah, the, no, the I got you, man. The real lack yeah. of confidence, really. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Honestly, thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, you've had had Michael in there say what you're saying is really relevant. Happens every day, and some obviously environments can really take away that person's confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there's more questions I want to ask, but I want to I want to jump straight to this question from Kim um, and Sally. I'm going to come to you. Um, because I think this is something that you probably spend a lot of time on and it's how, how can we stop? So we've spoke, we've ended up going to confidence quite quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense, but like, how can we, how can we start building this back up? Sally, in your, like, how can we, if we recognize that, like Claire said here, I, I actually realized I did, I, my confidence was knocked in these things. Like, how can we then, where do we go to start building this back up in, mm-hmm. in your opinion? And I think it's a really poignant question at the moment because um, somebody who I've introduced to the event, a guy called Kev, hope you're on there, Kev, say hi if you are. You know, we had a very similar question. We had a very similar conversation earlier on this week in that he's been out of work for 12 months now and actually is having a huge impact on his confidence. And I think a lot of people who are in a similar situation are. So my tips when you're looking at confidence is to, and this is a lot of the work that I do with my clients, almost that kind of first session, if you like, it's really reconnect with who you are at the moment especially there's lots of period lots of things that are unknown you don't know what the future is going to hold you're pushing yourself out of the comfort zone your brain doesn't like that your brain likes to know exactly what it's doing any given moment of the time it likes predictability which is why we start to feel uncomfortable it's a physiological reaction to when we are trying to push ourselves out of our comfort zone or into the unknown reconnect with exactly who you are and this is I'm sure what Claire's done over the last year or so is just remember what a bloody badass you are you know remember (laughs) I think it's really important we as women as humans we're so self-deprecating we are so easy to push away all of our achievements to one side to put them down to whatever we want to, to put them down to luck to put them you know but we really struggle with remembering all the challenges that we've overcome all the things that make us who we are and our, the you know the individuals that we are. So all the values that we really, really strongly believe in and why we're doing what we're doing. So Claire's example is perfect. She wants to change the industry. She wants to change her narrative and she wants to make an impact. That and understanding that why and that driver is the thing that's going to get Claire out of bed every single morning, whether she's lacking confidence or feeling absolutely amazing about herself. And this is exactly what happened with my launch, my coaching business. And coming from someone who is a high achiever at work, I've always, you know, I love my job. I love recruitment. and I've always strived to be the best and to build the most money. It's just who I am. I'm like a competitive person through and through. Then when I went into my coaching business, I was just like, oh, like, well, no one's going to spend any money with me. I haven't got, not, I haven't got anything to say, you know, although I had this passion. And I've got a post-it on my desktop that says, show up because of the results you get and because of the impact that you make, you know, forget about the fear. Do not let fear control you. Because I think it's so, oh, hi, Kev, you're there. So I think it's really important that you're doing this and you remember why you're doing it and you reconnect with the reasons you're doing it because that is going to be your driver and that is going to be able to override any fear or any confidence issues that you have. Yeah, I love that. And just before I come to you, Joe, really quickly, I guess on that, I think the bet I feel like personally when I've done stuff like that, because I've I've really tried to make sure I reconnect and I understand what that is for me. Like what are, what are really good practical questions that we can ask ourselves that can sort of hopefully try and uncover the, the, these feelings and understandings out of interest what typical questions do you share 
Oh, <laughs> oh we lost Joe. Sorry, was that to me? I thought you. Sorry. No, so sorry. You, sorry, I'll take that yeah, back. No, it's it. okay. I'll take I'll take that back to Sally. Sally, I was going to say. Oh, sorry. I thought that was. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Sorry. So, like, so I love the way that you articulated that, and that's something that nice. I I feel like I make myself do like regularly. So I guess just to be really practical for people here, like what yeah. questions are good questions to ask themselves that could sort of try and uncover that. Cause sometimes people don't yeah, even ask sorry. the questions, right? We're talking about self-awareness yeah. here and we're talking yeah, about, yeah. so. Sorry. Yeah. I, sorry. Back in the game. So absolutely. <laughs> um, so there's lots of different things. You It's all about reflection. Okay. And it's all about remembering all the things. So you could ask yourself the questions, what have been my key achievements? What is it that I enjoyed about what I do? What is it that's driving me to do the thing that I want to do? So what is driving me for change? Once you have got those, because at the moment, and when people don't write these things down, they go round and round and round and round in your head and it becomes a mm. noise. And then you start talking yourself out of stuff, right? If you put it down on paper and you journal and you get those thoughts out, it's a really cathartic experience and you're able to answer yourself the question. So when you then have a doubt, so when you write something down, you think, oh, I can't do that because, okay that's what we call a limiting belief you need to flip that 180 and make it a liberating assumption so rather than saying this is a good one for me I can't um you know I'm terrible I, I know at public speaking so rather than saying I'm terrible at public speaking you would flip that question around to say if I was good at public speaking and then your approach to to that public speaking, to that your approach to that challenge. And when you flip it around, you are asking your subconscious mind of a solutions focused approach to whatever that challenge is, as opposed to it just being a full sentence, which is, I'm terrible at public speaking. Yeah. Mm. I'm terrible at interviews. Okay. If I was good at interviews, what skills and attributes would I have to display? Okay, well, I'd have to be a strong communicator. I'd have to know my subject. I'd have to do some research on the company. So automatically, your brain is going into a very, you know, less submissive, but more proactive approach to solving that problem for us. And going back to the point that Joe made earlier about the way that we talk to our children, and what was expected of us in our work environments, we are expected to be solutions focused. We are expected to come up with answers. You know, Claire, if you go to one of your team now and say, this is the problem that we've got, say marketing, they'll go, I'll go and sort this out for you. This is the approach that we need to have in terms of our own self-development. So what open-ended questions can we ask ourselves to solve the problems that we've got? And the problems are the imposter. That's a very long-winded way of saying, just be reflective. <laughs> no thank, thank you for sharing that so joe i guess where i want to take this really quickly on the confidence piece um i just want to sort of acknowledge um kevin's message here because he's, he's been really open and, and shared um a great story here so sally do you know kev do you yes i do yeah briefly yeah we've had some interaction yeah great guy so look, let me just frame this up i guess what what sort of spikes my interest which is something that i struggle with which i think actually goes into confidence is sort of part of what uh kev has said here is around being getting better at sort of taking positive feedback um that's definitely something that i i struggle with i i don't know i just personally i find it quite cringy and hard to like talk about myself and like when someone actually praises me i don't know like i find it hard so i guess obviously on that like how how does that how does that link to like confidence and with this joke because i'm sure it, it, that's quite common i feel like so um, if you've seen this with people that you've worked with, like where, yeah, talk to us a bit about that because I find that interesting. So 
the first thing I would say is, is Kev, you are not on your own. This is this is super. Neither are you, Hashim. This is you know this is rife across our industry. I've been in the industry now for twenty five years, and the thing about the recruitment industry is that we're only as good as our last deal, right? Mm. We're only as good as the last candidate we placed. We're only as good as the last client conversation. So what happens is that the narrative that we all draw on is the one where, well, I did do it, but I might not do it again. And that's because our industry, our industry really works on this whole recessive feeling. It works on a feeling of this might not happen next time, rather than there is no reason for this not to happen next time. So I think I just want to refer before I answer um, the question, I want to refer back to um, an exercise that um, Sally was mentioning earlier, which is around limiting beliefs. And um, one of the things that will help for everybody who's the other end is whether you've got maybe a post-it note on your desk or whether you've got a card I can wholeheartedly admit I'm working with these in front of me always do whenever I'm doing anything like this pop on the post-it note for me or in front of you at the moment on your desks put on your biggest limiting belief so Hashim you can do this Clay you can join in whatever just pop on there for me what your biggest limiting belief might be so it could be it could be I'm not good enough it could be I'm not going to make this next deal. It could be the conversation I'm about to have with my next client is all going to go wrong. Put it on there for me. I like this. You like this? I thought you'd like this. You like to get stuck in, don't you? Look, you've even got your sleeves rolled up. Look. So <laughs> once you're in, you can put down there however many you feel. However many you feel. Right. Now, when you look at that limiting belief and when you look at the wording, let's ask yourself the question. When you look at those words, would you, in the first instance, would you say those words to somebody else? Would they be words that you would use with somebody else? Or would you be much kinder with somebody else and reframe? Mm. Mm. The second question that I would ask you, and again, this is about reflection, going back to what Sally was saying. The second question that I would ask you is, is that true in every scenario? So if it says I'm not good enough, if it says I can't do this, is that true in every scenario? So what is your evidence that that is true for the next time yeah and if you can't find evidence and and the sessions that i do with my clients they take a lot longer than this and of course we deep dive into every limiting belief and where they've come from but Mm -hmm. actually when you think about it if you can't give evidence that that's definitely going to be the case next time pick up your post-it and turn it over because it's just a belief it's just a narrative you're telling yourself Mm. so that was what are you thinking, Hashim? You've obviously what's, well. What's, I no, yeah. I just, I just no. Deep, it's deep just, reflection. Right? I, just, um, <laughs> I, 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 so I, I wrote down. I'm for me. It's my. It's, it's. I'm gonna fail. That's my. That's my. That's what really comes up for me. Yeah. But, and then I love that second question because that that's the the sort of the gives you space. Then well, go hang on a minute. Well, why am I saying that to myself? And it's like, like you said, in every scenario, is that true? And it definitely isn't. So it's like, hang on a minute, why why am I choosing to try and find things that back up the I'm going to fail piece rather than the, I don't know, yeah, I just, that just really got me thinking. I think that's a... 
great exercise. So that's one of the. Oh, sorry, Sally, go on. No, I just think it's, yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, and obviously, I, I, you go and then ask, I, I've got something to add to that. But yeah, really, really important. Are you sure? I don't want to. No, please. I'm, I'm, I'm a joke. Can't keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, so that would be one of my first responses in terms of why in the recruitment industry, why do we look at ourselves with such negativity? And it's because the whole industry comes from this recessive vibration. I won't get that next deal. I might not be able to negotiate. I won't quite get what I want. So actually, it's it's cultural within our industry and it's deep seated. And I think, Claire, you know, as you mentioned earlier in your intro, you are kind of disrupting this industry with everything you're doing. And, and no doubt the narrative is different within your within your particular organisation. And then the second part to my answer, and in terms of um, why we lack in confidence, which I think going back now, that was the question, wasn't it, Hishim? Well, Part of it, yeah, yeah. Well, it was the taking positive feedback. Take, that was okay. sort of where I came from, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the positive feedback bit is much more deep-rooted and it's societal. And actually, men and women dislike it when another person self-promotes. We feel threatened by self-promotion. We feel like there's competition when there's self-promotion and actually society society really struggles to listen to other people self-promote and therefore when we're being given feedback we're being given praise you know you did really well what happens is is we internalize it as I could have done better there actually I don't and because we know again in recruitment one of the other things that we do is we pick up on everything that we didn't do properly through the a to z of that deal right because we all know what the A to Z is of the deal. We all know how to move this candidate into their placement. We know that, or into their contract, or into their temp position. Equally, as recruiters, we're also brilliant at cutting corners. Some of us can cut the sheet of paper up. So although it starts as a piece of A4 and we should have been doing everything, actually we can cut it into lots of round circles, whatever we're doing with it. And I guess the point is, is that we know what we've missed. Mm. So when we then get that feedback, we think, oh, they don't know that I didn't do this bit or I missed that bit out. And so we're much more likely to be self-deprecating than we are just say, yeah, do you know what? The result is, I got the result. Great, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it comes back to it's societal, it's personal, as in it was our deal, and we know the bits that we could have done better. And it's also about the industry. That the mm-hmm. industry One thing I'd like to add to that, sorry, if you, if you don't Please mind. Please do, I just, will stop. Because I was thinking, just it's on your point of being self-deprecating and... I remember probably about five years ago, a male colleague of mine, he said to me, like, Clay, you need you need to start talking more about what you've achieved or what you've done or good things you've done because not just because it's about you, but because there's a whole room of women in this organisation that want to hear your story and you just, you don't tell it. And it made me it flipped it on it it made me kind of flip it on its head in a bit in in realizing actually like I do you know we do also then oh when you when you when you feel like you're telling your story because you owe it to other people because it's going to help them that's what's really helped me because then then it kind of takes it away from I'm being braggy or because I because I am humble and I, I do hate I hate you know, we can all come on here and sound super confident, but it, it's, you know, that is, you know, I, it does still feel uncomfortable to talk about. And yeah, that's impossible to enjoy. That's why we're here. But 
I think for me, you're flipping the narrative of actually I owe it to other people. I owe it to that 21 year old girl that's wanting to have her career in recruitment to actually tell her my story and, and inspire her. And if I can change one or two people's journeys, that that for me really helped in in in, in allowing me to be more open about it, to making it not about me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the kind of thing, the thing, the thing that flipped it most for me. I just thought I'd add that one because yeah, yeah, that was the, the main thing that made it, everything change when I finally started kind of being a bit more open about stuff. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, Claire. And I think absolutely paying it forward. You're right. You know, we've got, you know, it goes all the way back to suffragettes, you know, when people, you know, when women choose to, you know, not vote. And, I, you know, I'd find it really difficult to, like, you know, bite my tongue and be like, you're kidding me. People have, women have died for the vote, right, you know, right for you to vote, please. Even if you don't know who you're voting for, you know, it's your, you've got a right to do it. And I think those things, it is really important to pay things forward. It, and also, equally, it's important to use, for us to use our platforms to showcase people who haven't got that those opportunities I, I do like a show every single week um, about showcasing women on my LinkedIn um, because I just think it's really important and also it's really important I think especially for my clients to realize that you're no different we're no different to each other you know if I can do it so can you if you can do it Claire absolutely that means somebody else can do it you know Joe you know the experience that you know that you've gained it is it's really important to showcase that our achievements i really agree with that and also i just wanted to go back to the point that you were making yeah i was going to come back to that yeah in terms of this kind of failure um and this fear of failure um number one i would recommend anyone listens to um how to fail by elizabeth dale day it's the most amazing podcast i've got a book on fail i can't find it i've got a book on failure it it is just as impossible it is a phenomenon it is something that we all need to be talking about and we need to give ourselves the permission to fail because we are going to fail and failure Mm. is good and if we don't fail we're not going to succeed so it is part of the process so I think changing that narrative in terms of I don't want to fail to I'm going to fail and that's okay I think is really quite liberating and also in terms of the kind of perfectionist piece and I don't think we're going to have time to go into it today um is there are five different types of imposters I'm sure we've all done a little bit of research on them but one of them is the perfectionist but if we number one perfectionism you know perfect doesn't exist it absolutely doesn't exist you know and there was a question I don't think we're going to have time to either in terms of you know what do we do about the ceiling the ceiling doesn't exist, right? It's in mm. your head. Perfectionism, per, you know, being perfect doesn't exist. But what if you're striving for perfectionism, it creates burnout. And also it really, really kills, you know, creativity because you're too focused on the task as opposed to being open to everything else that's around you that is going to develop you better in different ways. So yeah. those are my bits of advice I'd give to you. No, thank you. And that I've just linked that podcast for people to check out. I, I listened to her on um, the Stephen Barlow podcast. and I thought she, she was awesome, actually. So I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, yeah. I guess where I wanted to take this is, is into what sort of Kim's put there in the chat. And um, Sally, I'll come back to you just on this really quickly, because it's the, it's the sort of next poll that I have, really, which is just basically focused on like, so we're talking about how we can manage things ourselves, ask the right questions, try and find better evidence and these types of things. Obviously, we spend a lot of our time in, in the work context, in the work environment, right? So obviously, 
with all yeah when we work with our colleagues and stuff like i guess the sort of question i want to come back to you something for us to discuss is like how what can we how can we sort of try and cultivate a space of support if we are i don't know if we are feeling really overwhelmed with am i good enough i'm gonna fail these types of things i don't know if like what have you done internally sally to make sure that people feel supported what can people do to get more support um from their sort of work colleagues or their work environment because that's where we spend a lot of our time and likely also obviously we have our whole lives and we'll face it in all different parts of our lives but i think we're talking in the work context here so i guess mm -hmm. yeah how can how can people get try and make a space or get more support internally do you think i think number peers? one i think number one talk about it i think and going back to joe's kind of point earlier you know we are institutionalized as recruiters right we are pitched against each other from day one in our jobs right and you're right we're only ever as good as our last quarter so we are taught that you know number one this is what you've got to do these are the processes you've got to follow in order to be successful right and if you don't do this and then you do you you fail in inverted commas that's because you haven't done what we said we do but as we all know recruitment evolved and you know we don't now make 125 call connected calls a week because that's not the way that we communicate as human beings you know we are you know we get more better engagement when we're whatsapping our candidates you know or sending little video messages as opposed to making these connect calls i'm going off on a tangent okay. but i think Sorry, um, I think number one, we've got to talk about it, okay? Mm. And we've got to celebrate our individuality. And we know that if you've got a target of 250K, right, the three top billers who are, who are achieving that are all going to do it in completely different ways. Mm -hmm. And that is the things that we've got to celebrate. So sharing stories, I think, is really important. I also think it's important if you're looking at it from a um, personal perspective that as human beings – we respond well to positive human interaction, okay? And so people don't like to push the boundaries and debate and do, you know, say things that are controversial because they like to be liked and they want to. And it's because we are safer in numbers, essentially, big groups. We're safer in numbers, which is why we try and please. And that's okay. Give yourself permission to do that. Give yourself permission to say, it's okay that I want to be liked by other people and I want praise by other people. That's not a bad thing. But on the flip side of that, by offering up your opinion and giving a different point of view and going back to Claire's point earlier about having a very diverse workforce, the positive impact that can have is that no one is going to agree with everything you say, but it's going to spark debate. And if you spark debate, that is going to have a chain reaction to a positive change. It's going to maybe make you think of a different way of doing it. So rather than kind of suffering in silence and thinking, oh, God, I'm not good enough, saying this is how I'm feeling today. Have you experienced something mm. similar? How did you overcome it? Um, and yeah, and then share those experiences together to be able to move on. I think those things are really, really important. Yeah, I love that. Claire, I'm going to come to you next. And then we've I've, we've had a great question come through, which I really want to discuss. But obviously, Claire, you've recently just hired a whole lot of grads, right? So they're mm. going to be doing a lot of things for the first time and things are going to show yeah. up. But just to add to this, the poll that we had on, have has have your company ever supported you or communicate with you about overcoming feelings of imposter syndrome? Back to Sally's point around talking about mm. this, 70% of people said no, we've never discussed it internally, right? And that's, I feel like, where we can start changing this. But Claire, for you, how can we yeah, start talking about this more internally? What do you do with your peers or colleagues that could help people yeah. here? Do you know what? Controversially, it's something that I don't want to talk about because I okay. think if I can get the culture right from the outset mm -hmm. 
and everyone realizing believing that anything is possible and I've got an incredibly diverse team that was my number one priority is to make sure I apologize to any white man in recruitment listening to this I wanted to make sure I did not create a company full of white male recruiters right of course I hired on merit and but I have an extremely diverse team which I'm so so proud of and I I genuinely think yes I I do want to recognize that people are going to sometimes um you know, lack of a bit of confidence and anxiety and, and all of that. But actually, I, I'm a firm believer that if we can get the culture right where everyone feels that they can achieve and that they're not the odd one out and that there are people like themselves that are doing great things, then they it shouldn't have to be a conversation. So... Yeah, you're talking about making sure that, the, that there's the space yeah. to talk about it, how they're feeling. Rather yeah, than, and, and yeah. yeah, like I think, you know, I think it's so, I don't know, going off on a tangent, I think it's, there's a lot to be said about fixing the culture and the places that we work in rather than trying to fix the people. I can genuinely say I haven't felt it once in the time that I've been here because of the culture I'm in, the people I'm surrounded by, the, no, the diversity, the support. I really haven't. Of course, there's been days where I'm like, God, this is crazy busy and how am I going to get all of this done? But I've never felt, and that's because I'm in a culture where it's it's so supportive and there are so many women around me and, and, and you know, our non-exec director, Vix Maloney, is amazing. You know, I, I, I genuinely think there's a lot to be said for that and I th- my advice not that as anyone has asked me for my advice on this, but if you're generally at the point where you're really struggling in with it, look at the culture and the environment you're in, and maybe you're just in the wrong company. Yeah, sure. No, I respect you that. I agree. And also, Claire, to add to that, if you can't find your tribe in a place that you work, you can find it online. Do you mean you can find mm. it different oh, yeah, because I have I have sought that externally and it's given me what I've needed to push on and push on my career. It hasn't always been for the businesses I work with, but that hasn't stopped my self-development, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, so you're creating it where you are, and I just think, yeah, good for you. Yeah. It's so inspiring listening to your story. Yeah, such such a great point. Uh such a such, such a great point, Sally. I think whenever I speak to particularly on the narrative of women in recruitment and having less role models and stuff like that, a lot of people share their advice. Well, actually, you can the role models don't have to exist within your four walls and you can go outside of those. Um, mm-hmm. but look, as we come to the end here, I really want to, Joe, I'm gonna come to you on Farah's question, which I'm just gonna put up on the screen, which I think is actually a real big part of this, actually, which we haven't really touched on, which is actually yeah, so Farah said, great exercise, but what if that voice, what if that evidence actually isn't your own and it's someone else's, right? I think that's such an interesting thing, right? If we're actually sort of feeling the way that we are because of a, because what a manager told us a year ago, two years ago, six months ago, or maybe even our parents, whatever, right? So other people's opinions, I think that's such an interesting point to raise. It could be other people's voices that could be promoting why we're feeling those um, those feelings that contribute to imposter syndrome and these things so what I don't know where 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 do you go with that Joe? how do you feel about that so I think in the first instance it's important just to recognize that we're all human we've all had an upbringing we've all had some fantastic experiences and probably some not quite so fantastic experiences and they've all they've all shaped us to arrive where we are today and I think Farah's 
Farah's question is just so poignant because she says, well, look, what if it's not, what if it isn't my voice? What if I can hear somebody else's voice? And actually, oftentimes when I'm working with my clients, it is somebody else's voice. And we wow. figure out who the voice belongs to. And mm. from there, and it's really important that people recognise coaching isn't, you know, it's not counselling. It's not, you know, we're not there to talk about what your mum might have said to you when you were seven. But what we are trying to do is we're trying to say, okay, from their perspective, what might have been the reason that they did it? Perhaps they didn't know that that, that was the communication that was coming across to you. Perhaps they didn't realise how it landed. And they certainly won't have realised how it's now with you still today. But what can we do with that voice? How can we turn down the volume of the voice? And turning down the volume of the voice is actually looking for evidence that what the voice is saying, that what the words are saying is true. Mm. So have, is it true that you are not good enough for this next client presentation? Well, where's the evidence? Well, there isn't any because I haven't done it yet. OK, so it's just a voice. Let's turn it down. You know, what's the evidence that my candidate won't take this next job and I really need this deal to go through? Well, OK, let's look at what you can control and what you can't control and then what the evidence is. So I think, yes, it's important to understand the history of that voice and where it's come from. But it's also not to spend so much time, certainly with a coach anyway. It's not, you know, like I said, it's not counselling, but certainly looking at, well, actually, where did that limiting belief come from? Where has mm. it come from? What does it really mean? And actually, how beneficial is it for us today? Sometimes they are beneficial. You know, the whole look before you leap is beneficial. Don't jump off a 60 foot building, that type of stuff you were told as a child. Of course, that's beneficial. But actually, is it beneficial to be told you probably won't make it in recruitment? You probably won't be good enough for a promotion and to still be hearing those voices isn't beneficial. So it's about understanding the approaches to turning that voice down and turning the volume down. And you can do that easily by looking for the evidence. Guarantee that evidence isn't there yet. That evidence isn't there, sorry. And what I usually do is ask my clients to reframe. So we reframe the narrative and we pivot it 180 and we say, okay, so what's the evidence that you're not good enough for that presentation? There isn't any. So you haven't failed yet. Mm. And it's just about the reframe, I think. That would be my mm. answer. Yeah, I love that. So look, as we as we come to the end here, I'm just going to do a sort of final poll to just ask you all what you'd really love us to focus on in our next event. But let's just go around to sort of wrap this up. Claire, I'll come to you first on sort of if if I am someone that maybe is lacking a bit of inner confidence or is is sort of stepping into um, an environment where I'm unsure and some of these feelings may come up that we spoke about today. What what's what's our sort of best tips or best bit of advice to sort of work through that or make sure that those feelings don't overcome yeah. us and that inner dialogue gets too loud? What's your sort of best piece of advice? We'll go around. I think oh, that's such a loaded question, but I think I I don't know. I think it's just look at ways to spin every failure and every mistake you make as and, and spin the narrative to a positive. I've made so many mistakes in my career and you know, mess things up, but and just I know it's so much so easy, so easy to say, but you know, don't expect to fail, but look at failure as a lesson and, and look at the positive you can take from it. And I said, I know that's a very, you know, that's not going to help people out there who fundamentally lack, really lack confidence. But that's probably one thing I would say is, you know, just look at ways that you can learn and, and try and find that positive that you can take from it. I appreciate that. Thank you. 
Sally, what would be your sort of part and piece of um, advice on this? It would be a little bit more self-reflection and just being mindful, and it's the whole other topic in itself, of where you're seeking that validation from. It's okay to seek validation, but make sure that the, the people you're seeking validation from are the ones that are going to push you and, and allow you to grow. And working on you validating yourself and being true to who you are and just remembering who you are is going to give you a huge amount of confidence. That's going to have more of an impact on your confidence than seeking validation externally. All about internal work yeah. and internal validation i love that thank you love last but not least yes yeah, so i think this is about um you know it's, it's about it's about being comfortable enough to voice vulnerability so this has happened today and i haven't managed to achieve what would you do being in a safe space whereby as a culture you can do so and then i think the other the other really important point is to is to really look at yourself and and, and maybe maybe create for yourself a little avatar so I have an avatar. So when my imposter syndrome has arrived, I have an avatar and she's actually a 1980s, very cheap Madonna. And wow. she arrives and she's got like the little lacy gloves on, you know, with the no fingers and she blows pink bubble gum in my ear and she says, you can't do it. And I think, so yeah. I have to physically, mentally sit her down, give her a cup of coffee and tell her, she hasn't got any evidence of that. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> and, and so again, I think it's it's somehow finding a way to lighten it yeah accept it lighten it find a way to kind of move on and focus on the positive yeah i love that well look joe claire and sally thank you so much for joining me thank you for being so open honest a few technical difficulties just part of uh doing these types of things at the beginning but thank you everyone for for joining us really hope you've enjoyed it i think we've uh, ended up having some some really great conversation on a, on a really important topic that isn't getting discussed a whole lot in in people's work environment so yeah, I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you that's joined me today and everyone that's joined us. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you.